0: From Psalm 91. One who lives in the shelter of the Most High, who abides in the shadow of Shaddai, will say to Yahweh, You are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For God will deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly sickness. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and barrier. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the sickness that stalks in darkness or the destruction that ravages at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. You will only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made Yahweh your refuge, the most high your dwelling place, no evil will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up with their hands, that you will not bump your foot against a stone. You will walk over the lion and the snake, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me, I will rescue I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will save them and honor them. I will fill them with long life and show them my salvation. The word of the Lord. So, what I love about the Bible is that it always makes sense. right? It's always abundantly clear every single time it always makes sense of life. Uh it, it never gives me questions, just answers. Right? I mean it's basically like an instruction manual. You know, and so just like with an instruction manual, you can open it up to any page, uh point to a random verse, and you just do what it says. Right? So right, I'll show you. Alright, so just turning to a random page here, we've got Numbers chapter six, verse thirteen says This is the law for the Nazarites, when the time of their consecration has been completed. They shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Right? So, uh, if you're a Nazarite, whatever that is, and your consecration time is done, go to the tent of meeting. Simple. Okay, so I I don't know what we do with that, but I'm sure that one's a fluke, right? Uh, I mean, Psalm 91 is, is perfectly clear. God never lets anything bad happen to us. I mean, that's your experience, right? Or is it? But, I mean, look at this, right? As those who love God, we are always rescued and protected. Nothing bad has ever happened to anybody here. Uh, now, I don't need to make you raise your hands, but I'm sure you could, right? To say, yeah, this, all this has been exactly my experience. I mean, all this is basically like a, a checklist of promises that God makes for us. We are, verse 3 says, never affected by any deadly sickness, right? No cancer here, no dementia, nothing like that. Wicked people, always punished immediately, right? Anybody who does wrong, they always... Uh, they don't get away with it. There's always punishment right away from God or someone else. They never, you know, wicked people never get into positions of power. Uh, They never do well in life. It just doesn't happen. Uh, We never even fall down. We never stub our toes because God's got angels on duty 24-7 just for that purpose, right? It seems like a small task, but God says that that's what God's doing. And yeah, sure, bad things happen to other people. Right? It may happen to 10,000 other people, but it will not come near to you. Divine protection 100% of the time. It's that simple. right? So let's just be thankful that this is how life is. Uh, move on, we'll stand and sing. Okay, what's your honest response to hearing this reading? I think there's basically two options. One is to hear all these promises, all these words of comfort and say, wow, that, I just feel so good, right? Thank you, Lord, for always being, protecting me and not letting bad things happen to me. The other response, I think, is, yeah, right, right? Or at least, it seems like it's more complicated than this. And today's sermon is for the second group if you hear that if you hear that psalm and that that rings true for you, I'm not trying to to tear you down or anything, but uh, I want to speak today more for those who hear that and start having questions, which, if we're being honest, is probably going to be most of us. Today. we start a series called Senseless," talking about trusting God when life goes wrong, as we go through this series, we'll hear stories or hear. Your passages about unfulfilled promises, about unexplained loss and suffering, about losing a status that you work your whole life for and find out that it's basically worthless. It all, and it all leads up to the senselessness of Jesus' death, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, killed in a horrible, humiliating, painful way. And we just look around the world, right, and we see so much tragedy, and this is the only word for it, right, that it's senseless, it doesn't make sense, why does this happen? And to make it more personal, I mean, do we have to get into what's happened in the last four years that I've been here? People that we know, people that we love, that this doesn't make sense, losses that shouldn't have happened, I mean... This is what we are going through right now. This is a season to focus on these times, these questions that we, that we don't have an easy answer for. These are the 40 days leading up to Easter, which the church through history has called Lent. It's a season of, of thinking about our struggles. It's a time of thinking about repentance for the ways that sometimes maybe we contribute to the senselessness of life. It's a time that we learn to carry our cross It in a lot of ways mirrors Jesus' own experience of being in the desert for 40 days. That we go into the wilderness and it's not easy. We have to face our demons and the questions that they whisper in our ear. Including questions about how we hear God's promise of protection. Because I think we can be tempted to hear this passage in an overly simplistic way. And in fact, these words can make us feel like failures, or we can use them to test God. Right, there's an unfortunate kind of if-then logic that comes with, with passages like these. right? It says, okay, if I love God, then I will be protected. So, if I'm not protected, if I do experience loss, if there is sickness, then well, I guess I don't love God. Basically, if bad stuff happens, well, it's all my fault because this makes it so clear. Or the other option is, well, if I'm not protected, then maybe God doesn't love me. Or God's a liar. Or God's just really not even there. I mean, those are the only options if we're just going to think of this in a logical way, right? To make sense of it in that way. Right? And so we end up testing God. We say, God, do this exactly like you say here, or I'm not going to believe in you. I can't trust you. Now, if this psalm sounds a little familiar, it's because the devil uses this psalm during Jesus' temptation. Right, so you get to Luke chapter 4. It says, the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will lift you up, and you will not bump your foot against a stone. The devil's tricky. He knows how to use Scripture, too. And, right, this is the temptation for Jesus, but, I mean, you're God's child, too, aren't you? That's something that I've preached over and over, that we are God's children. And so doesn't that entitle us to the same kind of divine protection? Jesus' real temptation here is to believe in an overly simplistic view of God. A God whose protection is so black and white, so simple, that you can put it to the test. That's tempting. But what's Jesus' response? Jesus answered him, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You know, in the the children's version of the story that George has, uh, he says... Uh, if you trust God, you don't have to test God, which I love because I think that's really where it comes down to, right? Testing or trusting. Which are we going to do with God? And right, that is the temptation to think that, that God, it's so simple that we can just have these formulas, we plug it in, if this happens, then this is what's going on, and that's our test, right? But sometimes it doesn't work, and God, doesn't, God seems to fail the test. And we lose our faith. And so really it comes down to trust. Because trust is something deeper. Sometimes trust doesn't make a lot of sense. Trust goes deeper than what's happening in the moment. And trust acknowledges that I'm not always going to understand. I'm not always going to be able to make sense of every single thing that happens. But God's still there. Something is going on. I may not see all the answers right now, but I'm going to trust that's something that God is working through this. All right, with all the problems that we've already acknowledged with psalms like these, can we say with Jesus and with the psalmist, God, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The accusing voice comes to Jesus the same way that I think it comes to us. Not as a guy with a pitchfork and a red tail or a shadowy robe, the adversary's lies are always in our heads, and we have to figure out where it's really coming from. All right, Paul tells us that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So don't be surprised if what one person says is the word of God is actually anything but." the voice of the accuser sometimes can come from the pulpit. Not hopefully not intentionally. But you know, I never know exactly how my words are going to be heard. You know, this is kind of the problem with preaching that there's not much room for discussion. It's it's a little bit one way, and hopefully, in in my preaching, I leave some room for nuance and and admitting that sometimes it's more complicated. But uh, and it's not just these simplistic, pithy promises. But I guarantee that that around the world. Uh, in churches in this country, or even maybe in this city, an overly simplistic gospel is preaching, being preached that says, uh, this, this prosperity gospel that promises if you do the right things, then God will give you everything that you ever wanted. Can you really look at the life and teachings and death of Jesus and think it's that simple? The voice of the accuser may come through uh, a well-meaning brother or sister. It may come in phrases like, well, everything happens for a reason. You know, this is all part of God's plan. God will never give you more than you can handle. God just needed another angel. God wanted them more than you did. I know those those bad theological statements come from good intentions. But to those well-meaning misunderstandings, I think we have to say sometimes, get behind me, Satan. I promise if I ever go through a real tragedy and somebody says something like that to me, I'm going to be even more blunt than that because it's not that simple. If we really trust God, we don't have to give an easy answer to make sense of everything immediately. So if we're not going to be tempted to think of God as untrustworthy, how do we see God speaking to us in this psalm? I think we can make sense of of these promises we consider the different levels on which God might speak to His children. I think about how I talk to George, my son, about something like death. Right, Anna Jane's uh, grandmother passed away at the end of last year, and George had a lot of questions about that. He's six years, six years old, if you don't, if you don't know. Him. And, and sometimes, you know, after that happens, he, you know, when he's trying to go to bed at night, he's worried about, you know, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to die? Are mommy and daddy going to die? And you know, in those moments, maybe an honest reflection on human mortality is not what he needs, right? To say, well, yeah, that's right, son, everyone does die eventually, including mommy and daddy and and even you. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't happen anytime soon, but I have no idea. Sleep tight, right? Uh, Maybe not the right time for that. Telling George nothing bad is going to happen might be appropriate when his fears are irrational. And there is an appropriate way to talk about difficult things with kids. Right? I listened to an NPR clip this week, and they talked about that episode of Sesame Street where Mr. Hooper had died, and they had to have this conversation with Big Bird, who was very childlike. Right? There, there's a way to talk about these things, but overall, children need this sense of, of boundaries, a sense of security. Their brains are only developed enough to think in, in black and white kind of terms or concepts. All right, so we need to communicate with, with children in ways they can understand. Right, I'm not saying we need to lie to them, but that overall they need to know that, that mom and dad can be trusted, that, that we'll do whatever we can to keep them safe. And I think that's what God is doing with psalms like these. God is trying to communicate in a simple way that God is trustworthy, that God is not out to get us, that life is not meaningless. That God is on our side. That God loves us. Right, this is our foundation. This is our starting place. It may not always be that simple, but that's where we come from. And so the big question is, are you a spiritual six-year-old? All right, it's okay to start with simple answers, but if you want a mature faith... You're going to have to accept that those answers may not always work. How many people have lost their faith entirely because they were told that everything always makes sense? They were given a childlike faith, and when they tried to ask grown-up questions, they're told to keep quiet or they were given more immature answers. When it comes to understanding the Bible, your experience matters. What happens to you, what happens to your loved ones is not irrelevant. Experiences shouldn't necessarily be accepted without question, right? All this happens, so that must mean God isn't there. But they are part of the conversation with how we understand God always. Your experiences can't be dismissed. Your pain has a place. The Psalms are living proof of this, right? We have to think about the different ways that different psalms work. And some psalms are very black and white. Right? We call these psalms like Psalm 91 a psalm of orientation. Right? This is how we expect life to be as God's people. This is how things should go. And so they are generally true. Right? And I think we can say that generally as God's people our lives have been blessed. And yet we admit that that's not always what life is like. And the Psalms show that as well. And so we have also what people call Psalms of disorientation. Psalms where things have gone wrong and people have questions. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? We see both of those experiences honored in Scripture. Scripture is not ignorant of life's experiences. It speaks to all of it. And so if one psalm doesn't speak to you in this moment, I bet there's a psalm that does. See, if we're going to be children of God with a grown-up faith, our big question is, how do we trust our Father? Now, I believe that we can trust what this psalm says about God. It's just not as simple as, as we might think. So what's the greater truth we find about God's presence? All right, see, if, if this psalm is going to be meaningful for us, we have to dig a little deeper, trusting there is a promise here, there is a word of God for us, even if it's not as simple as, well, nothing bad will ever happen. So I want to focus on, on three promises that I see. The first one is that the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Right, and this is a way that we can think deeper than probably what the, even the writer of this psalm thought. Because we know that our accuser is identified both as a roaring lion and as a crafty serpent. And we are told that we can trample that underfoot. Are we really going to give that voice power over us? You can't beat your demons all on your own with your own willpower, but you can beat them because they've already been beaten by Christ and his cross. Jesus Christ shows us that we can refuse to listen to easy simplified answers and we can still live in faith. And so when you start to hear God's word twisted, stomp it down. The second promise is that you will not fear. I as I said earlier, when our fears are rational, like with my son, sometimes we just need to hear, it's okay. But even when we have legitimately scary problems in our lives, in this world, fear does not get the final word. Fear happens, right? It's a, it's a biological response and, and in many ways it's a good thing because fear can keep us safe from danger. Fear happens but you choose whether or not to give it control. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The most common command in Scripture is don't be afraid. Because God knows that's what we most often go to. We don't need to be afraid, even of death. There's a sense in which the way of Jesus is really about learning to die well, right? To accept death daily so that we're not afraid of it at the end this is what all of our symbols point to right baptism is dying and rising again taking up our cross is taking up something that kills us and since it's like a vaccination right that we take a little bit of death into ourselves willingly so that we're prepared for when it comes unexpectedly this, this past week, there was something called Ash Wednesday, and a phrase that often gets uh, said during that time is, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And I don't know how that hits you. Maybe that's really depressing. Um, but I think there's also some peace that comes with that. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It reminds us that life is bigger than just me. It reminds us that our time on this earth is limited. And so we want to make the most of the days that we have. Yeah, we're just dust. But we're formed, each of us, into the unique person that we are by the loving hands of our Creator. And so the third promise I see is that God says, I will be with them in trouble. All right, I think this is the greatest. That God is present in these hard times. And that might not make sense to us, right? Can God be with us when we suffer? You right, might be tempted to think that suffering and the presence of God can't coexist. Right? That if I'm suffering, God must be gone. God's not there. And, and when things are good, that's when God's with me. Isn't that the whole point of the cross? God in the flesh enduring the worst of human suffering. The cross shows us more than anything else that when we are in the midst of our pain, God is right there with arms wide open. So that gets to how I pray for people who are, who are suffering. I do pray, pray that people will be healed or made well or come through things. But my deepest prayer for people going through these things is that they know that God is with them. That in those moments, no matter what happens, They feel the loving arms of God around them. I know we all wonder about this. If God is with me, why does it still hurt? I don't have an easy answer for that. But I know that you are never alone. I mean, really, what does it mean to be saved? To experience life? To experience salvation? We look to Jesus because did God save Jesus on the cross? Well, yes and no. No. Jesus died. Jesus suffered. But yes, Jesus lives and still lives even now. Our hope is in a new kind of life. That can be experienced even as we feel the pain of death. And so my hope this morning for you. Is you trust God's presence more than you expect God's protection. To live with it, not just to escape it. Sometimes they come together, and sometimes they don't. But we believe that no matter what happens, our God is with us. Our God is on our side. And our God loves us. If you had to choose, would you want a God who just simply fixes everything from a distance, Or a God who is so close, God experiences all of your pain with you. A God who never lets you have any reason to cry. Or a God who personally wipes every tear from your eye. That first God may be tempting. But I'm here to tell you today that the God in whom we trust is more like the second. It won't always make sense but trust is stronger than even our senses. And so I hope today you find the strength through the Spirit of God to hold on to God even in those dark moments and dark seasons.